Mississippi. Welcome to another live edition of the original Southern Remedy, a doctor call-in show. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here to take your questions with a special guest I'll introduce after the break. We'll talk about whatever is bothering you. If you give us a call at the usual number, 1-877-672-7464, 1-877-MPB-RING. It's all about whatever is bothering you or what information you need to make your life better. So get your questions ready and give us a call. We're here for you, and we'll be right back after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lori London. Donald Trump is insisting there is great unity within his campaign despite being embroiled in controversy. Most recently, he's angered fellow Republicans for refusing to endorse House Speaker Paul Ryan or Arizona Senator John McCain. Trump will be campaigning in Daytona Beach and Jacksonville, Florida today, a state with 29 electoral votes that are important for his path to the White House. NPR's Asma Khalid says Trump's running mate will be across the country in Denver and Colorado Springs. The Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton will be campaigning and raising money in Colorado today. It's a battleground state where Hillary Clinton is hoping to appeal to the high percentage of college-educated voters. Clinton is planning to focus on the economy and job investments at today's rally. Her running mate, Tim Kaine, will also focus on the economy with a jobs tour in Greensboro, North Carolina. Clinton has been relatively silent in recent days in the midst of the continued controversy in the Trump campaign. The Olympic torch has had a bumpy tour marked by protests on its way to host the city to the host city of Rio de Janeiro. NPR's Lulu Garcia Navarro reports that with only a few days to the opening ceremony, Rio has been struggling. There have been arrests and multiple attempts to snuff out the torch or impede its passage through towns in Rio State. It will be under heavy security here in the Olympic host city as more protests are expected by groups who oppose the games and say they've only benefited the wealthy. Traffic has also turned into a huge headache because of dedicated Olympic lanes for buses and Olympic cars. Residents have been stuck in enormous traffic jams. Rio Mayor Eduardo Baez has now declared another citywide holiday for Thursday in order to relieve congestion. Meanwhile, swimmer Michael Phelps has been chosen to carry the American flag for Team USA at the opening ceremony, which is on Friday. Lulu Garcia Navarro, NPR News. Rio de Janeiro. All 300 passengers are okay, but there were some frightening moments this morning at the International Airport in Dubai. A United Arab Emirates Boeing 777 arriving from India exploded after making a crash landing. Passengers say the pilot announced that he'd been he'd have to make an emergency landing because of a problem with landing gear. With the growing threat of Islamic State in Europe, London is taking new steps to protect itself from the threat of terror attacks. NPR's Frank Langfitt says London plans to deploy an extra 600 armed police across the British capital. Police officials say a terror attack in the U.K. is a matter of when, not if. The deployment is not driven by new intelligence, but a response to repeated attacks across Europe, including recent ones in Germany and France. The police union says it could take two years to get all those extra officers on the streets and trained to carry a firearm. This is NPR. 
A deadly wildfire near California's Big Sur coastline was apparently started by an illegal campfire. Officials are now looking to find out who started it. They're asking campers who were in the area before the massive fire broke out to provide any information they may have. Islamic State has announced that Boko Haram has a new leader. The Nigerian group swore allegiance to ISIS last year. NPR's Ophabia Quist Arkton reports the latest issue of an ISIS magazine now features a new man at the head of the Nigeria-based extremist group. No reference is made by Islamic State to Abu Bakr Shekau, the erstwhile leader of Boko Haram since 2009, who has featured in most of the group's videos to date. The Nigerian military has claimed several times to have killed Shekau. He's best known for bragging and taunting the authorities and claiming the mass abduction of more than 200 boarding school girls in 2014. Shekau was last heard of a year ago, claiming he was still alive and had not been replaced. An Islamic State video released in April said as much. Now ISIS is calling Abu Musab al-Barnawi, previously Boko Haram's apparent spokesman, the new leader of the Nigerian militant group. Ofebi Akwistat and NPR News, Lagos. Forecasters with the National Hurricane Center in Miami expect Tropical Storm Earl to become a hurricane before making landfall today. Heavy rain and wind are already pummeling Mexico, Honduras, and Belize. On Wall Street, the Dow up 22 points. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Zillow. Recognizing home means something different to everyone. Users can discover millions of homes for sale and rent, from a modern apartment in the city to a historic home in the suburbs. Zillow. Find your way home. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics, and this is a weekly uh, all Things Considered, Dr. Call-In Show, and uh, we'd love to have you give us a call about whatever is bothering you. Hopefully not much is bothering you, but if it is, give us a call, one 672 7464 or 1-877-MPB-RING. Man, there's so much going on, uh, it's uh, hard to know where to start, and we don't want to lecture, we want to hear from you. I have a special guest with me this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, the ragweed is in. Uh, we'll talk about ragweed too. If you give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring, Doctor Loretta Jackson, who is the vice dean uh, for medical education at UMC, and I thought you might want to hear some of the things going on about medical students because Lord knows we need more healthcare providers in our state at all levels. And she's in charge of making that happen on the doctor side. And uh, maybe she can help us understand a little bit more about what doctors are, what they're supposed to do, what their training is, why they act the way that they do, being both of us or them. She's an emergency medicine physician. 
or whatever questions you may have about the whole uh, medical profession, this might be a good time to ask those. But we're not going to limit that because she's also a practicing doctor uh, and has a lot to say about medical issues as well be helping us with your call we have open lines uh now we usually fill up in the last quarter of the program and then i feel bad about not getting everybody's questions answered so if you have a question it's our pleasure and honor to be here to ask uh to answer whatever you want to talk about so give us a call we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we have lines open and would love to hear from you. Wherever you are, um, we're ready to talk. So, Dr. Jackson, uh, it is a pleasure to have you uh, with us. Uh, how long have you been working in the making doctors business? I have been working on the administrative side since 2008, and it has been a wonderful little journey. Yes, I've seen things um, change in many wonderful ways. Now, are you from Mississippi or where? I grew up in the Delta in ah, Indianola, Mississippi. A famous place. A famous place. And did you go to, I guess, uh, I'm not from Mississippi, but I'm sorry. I'm apologizing. I didn't come from here. I came from a much more uh, intellectual place, Alabama. Yeah, right. Right. And, uh, but now I'm a Mississippian. So did you go to Ole Miss or what, what, what college did you go to? Well, I finished up in high school in Indianola at the great Gentry high school. All of those listening from the Delta take note <laughs> and went to college at Tougaloo college, which is not that far from here. A very famous college. A very famous college. Uh, and we get a lot of Tougaloo students applying for medical school. Of course they apply everywhere and have traditionally done that. And then where did you go after that, to medical school here? Well, I was one of those kids who wanted to see the world, so I ended up going um, to the Northeast, went to medical school in Massachusetts at Boston University. A very good place, also connected to Tougaloo historically. And and then did you do your emergency medicine here or somewhere else? I stayed in Boston for several years in a dual program, and then when I finished, went to the opposite uh, of the United States and went to California for residency. Oh man, you're—I didn't know you were a, a global traveler there. Uh, when you when you're young, you just kind of right. go all over the place. Right. So then you came back here to join our emergency medicine group. Is that right? And I've been here ever since. Well, thanks for that uh, introduction. So I'm here with Doctor Jackson, emergency room physician, and we're taking all your calls at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So Mississippi has, uh, unfortunately, our home state has the worst case scenario in health. Uh, Every good indicator of good health, uh, we're on the wrong end of it. That includes longevity, um, all of that stuff, heart attacks, strokes, obesity, everything you can think of, we're on the negative. And I understand that People that get employed at at UMC in general have a passion for trying to make a difference and trying to to deal with that. Is that, do you feel that? Oh, I definitely feel that. Is that why you came back? Those of us in education most definitely feel that. We feel um, that it's our mission to improve the health, the health outlook for everyone here. Well, I guess if, if you went to Boston University School of Medicine and and so forth, and had a residency in 
emergency medicine in California, you probably could have gone any place in the United States. And a lot of our African-American <clears throat> professional people have taken the nearest plane out of Mississippi. Uh, why did you happen to decide to come back? It was definitely a personal decision. Uh, at the time that I was making a decision about where I wanted to really and truly began my career, my parents were living in the state, and it was important for me to be close to them. And in addition, my husband's parents uh, were living in the state, and it was important for our children to be raised around their family. So we made the personal decision um, that Mississippi was where we needed to be for our family, and given that we could pursue our career opportunities within the state, we made the decision to return. Well, I'm glad you did. Uh, I wish we could get more um, African-Americans who have achieved the kind of status that you have academically to return, but a lot don't feel comfortable in returning. And in talking with medical school applicants, uh, as I do from time to time, um, I get that feeling. You know, the, one of the first things they ask me, especially if they're from out of state, Former Mississippi people have gone out of state. I know that you favor Mississippians for admission to medical school here, but a lot of our kids uh, go out of state and then uh, reapply hereafter, still have their residency, but have gone to uh, wherever, Boston University. And they're sort of asking questions, am I welcome in this medical school? Uh, I get that. And... Uh, and y- y'all have done a lot in that area to try to get these people back, right? We have. Uh, one of the things that has always been important to me, and I've said a number of times, is that it is very difficult to make change when you're standing on the outside and looking in. And sometimes you have to immerse yourself where there are issues to find out really and truly what all of the sides of those issues are so that you can make effective change. I think in the time that I've been here for almost 18 years, we have, uh, in fact, done quite a few things that have that that's made the medical center a lot more welcoming for all. Okay, and that that's not just black folks. It's white folks, black folks, and all Mississippi folks. All right? Mississippi folks, because we are not only ethnically diverse, but we are socioeconomically diverse in our state. Uh, we have very different outlooks on a number of things, and we try to think about that. Well, you heard from Dr. Jackson herself, the the vice dean for medical education. She has a lot to do with who's your doctor, and uh, we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're open for questions about that or anything on your mind. And in fact, we'll go on the road into Columbus and to Natchez and your house. If you give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Bill, uh, thank you for your call from Natchez. Uh, y'all are celebrating. Uh, are you on the line with me? Yes. yes uh, y'all are celebrating your tricentennial, aren't you? We're celebrating it today, and it's a big deal out on the uh, bluff overlooking the river, and a big luncheon. Uh, Plan for, and there's a lot of exciting things happening down here right now. Well, let me congratulate. Uh, I'm sure you haven't been there for all 300 years, but uh, let me congratulate everything that's going on in Natchez, including trying to make health better there. I think Natchez is one of the 
most undiscovered gems in the whole United States and just love to visit and um, and and hear about all the history and the new stuff that y'all are doing. So thank you for your call. I had to get that PR in there for a great place. What's your question? Uh, my wife is facing the prospect of having a surgery called Rectocele, and uh, we've read about it, and it uh, seems that it's sometimes successful, sometimes not successful. The surgeon specialist says it's a great deal of pain and or in long-term recovery. Mm-hmm. And my question is, how do you determine if this is the right surgeon to go to, and do you try to find one that's doing this routinely week after week? I mean, how do you find the surgeon that's, that does this all the time and, and uh, as opposed to one that maybe only does it twice a month? You frame the question in such a great way. Um, there are a number of specialists now who are trained in pelvic floor uh, uh, reconstruction, women who have had multiple pregnancies or have very large uteruses that are very weighty or are obese uh, tend to have a collapse of their pelvic floor. That's the the bottom of your bottom. And uh, when that happens, uh, things get in that that part of women that don't belong there. And I'm going to let my colleague here, who is a woman, straighten out that uh, anatomy. But uh, basically the colon and other parts of the uh, intestinal tract can fall in there, like the rectum, which would be a rectocele. Uh, Bladder can fall in there. All kinds of stuff can fall over there that doesn't belong in there. And there are surgical techniques, and then when all that stuff falls in there, women start having trouble with every time they cough, they lose their urine, every time they can have fecal incontinence. And that's why if you go to drugstores, as I do regularly, just to check out to see the latest thing over the counter, you'll find all these pads. They got them for men and women. And everybody suddenly thinks it's okay and part of life to have to wear pads when you get older. That is garbage. There is incredible um, help now available for people with pelvic floor problems and incredible resources in our state. So to directly answer your question, you want a board-certified urogynecologist or urologist who specializes in pelvic floor repair. There are a number of these people in the communities now and uh, throughout the state folks on the coast, uh, folks in your area. Uh, we have a, uh, a, a big group of urogynecologists, all young and recently trained at UMC, and a lot of the urologists have a lot of experience. So I think your most important thing to do is, in this case, you want to see more than one person. You don't want to get a single consult. And you want to ask them what kind of technique they're going to use. Is it going to be open surgery or is it going to be laparoscopic? How many they've done, and what are their outcomes? And can they give you the, the? Do they have any of their patients that you could talk to um, that have had this surgery? And then you need to ask around the community. So this is big time surgery, but it's less big time than it used to be because most of it can be done through scopes, and it makes a wonderful difference in the quality of life. Now, Doctor Jackson, how much of that did, get, did I get wrong? No, I thought that that was very good. And the other thing that we have to remember is that with um, 
problems with the rectal seal or even with the um, uh, the bladder when it falls through is the increased risk of infections. And to prevent all of those complications would be important. Yeah, because women frequently present with recurrent urinary tract infections and their bladder's all goofed up because it's in the wrong place. Correct. Everything goes south when you get older. Let me tell you, I, I will. I will. You don't want to hear all my things that went south, but uh, that happens to all of us. And there, and some people as simple as getting some exercises to take care of this problem. And there are wonderful nurse practitioners and physical therapists that work in pelvic floor problems. And we always try to see if that will sort things out before we do surgery. Bill, is that what you needed? That's exactly what I needed. And I thank y'all for letting me know what the questions are that I need to ask. All right. Well, happy uh, th- happy 300 years down there. Thank y'all for your show. All you? right. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'm here with Dr. Maker, Loretta Jackson. Uh, Dr. Jackson is a professor uh, at UMC and uh, the vice dean for medical education, and she's also an ER doctor who's helping me with whatever you want to call on. Let's go to Jennifer. We have open lines, by the way. Hey, Jennifer. Hi. Can you hear me? Oh, we can hear you, like, really good. You don't have to yell because we're just hearing you real good. Okay, sorry. No, no, um, you're you're fine. I, I really appreciate. Um, I welcome back to Mississippi, Miss Jack, Doctor Jackson. Um, anyway, um, I too graduated from UMC. UMMC is a physical therapist, and my question is: I really like the comments about the HPV virus um, and the vaccinations for that. And my ex-husband was diagnosed with HPV. Uh, tongue cancer oh, with goodness. a tumor in 2015. January Sorry. 2015. He went to MD Anderson and did 33 rounds of high dose radiation mm. and did all the chemotherapy. Mm. And he, um, it had originally metastasized to three of the lymph nodes yeah. in his neck. And then after he did the 33 rounds of radiation, it, the tumor was completely gone. But within two months, it reappeared. And he, the bottom line is he is going for clinical trials, of which one failed in Dallas, Texas, and they stopped it immediately. And he did more chemo, but he's run out of his radiation. He can't do that. And he is now, um, bottom line, is waiting on a box before his tongue. They did four of them at MD Anderson. It was not enough sample for it to be sent off to Boston. Mm-hmm. He is from Boston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't enough of the sample to do what they needed to do. Yeah. So his only clinical trial left is to either have another biopsy. He is not on chemo or anything else. He's on a feeding tube. He cannot swallow. He cannot eat at all. Oh, I mean, I'm what so is sorry. his prognosis? Okay. I had my children vaccinated on that, and that's a wonderful thing. And I believe it started with the females. Well, I know it did for cervical, and then... With the male, they went through John Hopkins. There were studies done there. And right. they came out with like eight strands of HPV for, for young teenage boys. And I've had the Gardasil, I think that's what it is, um, done that with him. It's a series of three shots. So what is your talk on that? And I'll hang up and let you talk. All right. Well, thank you, Jennifer. And we appreciate your physical therapy um, activities. Let me tell you, we need more physical therapists and 
Uh, again, UMC's working on that, and there are other folks as well. It's more difficult, I think, to get in physical therapy than it is to get in medical school, isn't it? No, sometimes it is. I mean, those people are smart. <laughs> they are really smart, and we like working with them. So um, I think the point that Jennifer is trying to make is um, uh, HPV is more than just uh, a little wart uh, on your genital area. It can cause some real problems. And every time we talk about vaccinations on this program, we get nasty letters from people thinking we're communists or liberals or Lord knows what else. Uh, and uh, so I don't know what your position is on uh, HPV vaccine, so maybe you'll disagree with me. But I think uh, that not to take advantage of that is a real, real mistake. So I think one of the most important things that all of us have to really sit back and think about is it is very difficult to take care of the complications of diseases. And if you have something within your repertoire to prevent a problem, then you don't get to the complication. And that's what this vaccine does. It's important not just for the young women, to be vaccinated, but also for the young men to be vaccinated. And I was glad to hear her, in fact, say that. And uh, I think that um, if we would just think about preventing some of our health care problems, then we can focus a little differently about how we live. We're talking about whatever's on your mind, medically speaking, at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven mpb ring I'm Dr. Rick here with Dr. Loretta, and it's whatever's on your mind. So um, my wife, I love her dearly. Uh, we've been married 300 years. We're going down to Natchez to celebrate the uh, tricentennial. And uh, so we, we, uh, she, uh, she's gotten into Facebook, and you know we're, we're, we have her in some kind of multiple-step program to get out of that uh, thing. But she's not out of it yet. And she gets all this stuff about vaccines, including Gardasil. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's this not wanting to talk about human biology trait that we Mississippians seem to have. The fact is, is that 50% of our children are having sex before they graduate from high school, no matter how many uh, times they go to church on Sunday night with us. Uh, here and it ain't it awful, and uh, then we have no edu- limited education in our public schools because of the restriction on education about sex. I obviously feel strong about this and strongly about this, and want to get myself in trouble. And uh, then we have people saying that vaccines are crazy. Uh, they give you some, they don't work, or they give you reactions, or they make you have autism. All of which has been proved um, false. So uh, we still have a lot of folks that are confused about this topic. And uh, this vaccine keeps getting better because they keep making modifications in it. And it's a virus that you get transferred through sex. Uh, Many, many of our uh, mothers are picked up as having this at the time of their prenatal screening. Uh, you still get vaccinated even if you've got it because that helps you fight it off better. And it's not perfect, but uh, what are the side effects of getting vaccinated with Gardasil? 
Well, soreness at the site is probably the most in, uh, common um, problem uh, in terms of systemic um, uh, reactions. Those are, are rare. Mm-hmm. But they're, if they happen, they're serious. Right. But, but those are rare. So, so part of the problem, part of the thing that we do in medicine is that we weigh the benefits versus the adverse events. And for this particular vaccination, the benefits far outweigh the adverse events. So, one of the health disparities that we have in Mississippi. Uh, that is not race-based is immunizations. We do really good on immunizations. But um, in my understanding, you are trying to identify doctors, uh, people who apply to medical school who are interested in staying in the state and helping us fix these problems. We are. So one of the things that um, is a requirement for entrance into medical school at the University of Mississippi is a, a state residency, Mississippi state residency, because the thing that so we, I would have been in trouble if I applied. You would have been in trouble. Uh, right? I would have been a ferner. You would have yeah. been. Yeah. So, and part of the reason that that is uh, currently one of those. Um, characteristics that we seek is that we know that individuals who are from the state of Mississippi are much more likely to stay and want to practice in the state. So that's why you have that limitation. We do. And we have the lowest number of physicians for our population than any other area. Mm -hmm. So as we're trying to build that number, um, that is one of the things that we have done. So after this break, uh, we'll talk about other things that you're doing and i i just wonder whether i would have been admitted because you really have to be able to articulate how much you care about people to get into medical school and have shown that you actually do you can't fake it like you used to be able to do so we'll talk about that we'll go to macomb and uh brandon and goth go go che i finally got it right and uh, your house, if you give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, it's Southern Remedy. All things considered, today. Support for MPB comes from the Pediatric and Congenital Heart Center of Alabama at Children's of Alabama, a cardiovascular care center for children in Birmingham, Alabama. More at childrensal.org slash heart. Your favorite MPB Think Radio shows are now available on your favorite podcast app. So open that app and subscribe to any local program you love, like Everyday Tech. Android does have the most delicious operating system, I find. Jelly, is it jelly Bean? The Gestalt Gardener. What's up? What you got going on? And of course, MPB's Season Pass with myself, Sam Wells, and Jay White. That's my guys, man. So what are you waiting for? Go search and subscribe today. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. 
That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. We got calls on the line and one open line for you at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It's Dr. Rick here with Dr. Loretta. And let's go to Brandon. Hey Bill. Yes, sir, Dr. Rick, Dr. Loretta. On a wife with a Facebook account. <laughs> I got you, man. It's it's a problem. I, I go home before go home for dinner and I've gotten to where I call before I go in the house and I say, honey, what time are, are we going to have dinner? And, uh, she says, uh, well, what time do you want to have dinner? And I say, well, honey, whenever you want to have dinner, I'm sort of hungry. Well, I got another 30 minutes on the computer here. Uh, why don't we do it at this time? So that adds another 30 minutes, uh, onto the evening schedule. But I'm glad because she really uh, learned stuff on there that I would never, never know about, including about my own relatives. So what about yours? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's the same thing. It's just an interconnected world, and it takes a lot of time to keep in touch with, with the entire universe on there. Good grief. Wait, wait, well, Bill, let me tell you this. This is amazing. We had our 53rd high school reunion last weekend. And uh, people knew more about me than I knew about myself uh, at this reunion because everybody had been reading Facebook on everybody else. And the women all knew what was going on. And some of the guys that were retired had time to keep up with it. So it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And we're trying to use that for medicine as well because we have a Facebook page for uh, Southern Remedy. So take a look at it. What's your question? Well, just a, a general question, but it's kind of specific to me, obviously. Uh, swelling, extremities, uh, feet, legs, hands, arms, the feet more than, than, the, than the legs and the upper part, the right side more than ever. Swollen for three weeks now, more than I ever thought they would or should. Can't get my shoes on, they're just down to wearing house slippers around. Oh, goodness. Uh, so this is new onset swelling, uh, and it's not just your uh, feet and legs. It's your arms and other places. That's right, although there was a bee sting in the, my right hand, and that seemed to have aggravated the, the arms and hands to some extent. I can't sort of separate them. But, uh, was that yeah, before? Was that bee sting before or after you started swelling? No, two weeks after. Okay. And. It doesn't it isn't getting better after this bee sting effects have subsided. It doesn't seem like. And I've been obviously looking for a little medical advice. And one place I went uh, thought maybe uh, some kind of infection. So they, they drew some blood, did some swabs, and went, you know, I don't believe those tests are back yet. Mm. And then I went to a regular doc, and he wanted to be on the safe side. Thought well, it could be blood clots so did an ultrasound i don't know whether ultrasound detects blood clots are existing or blood or can they track where a blood clot has been so mm-hmm. we decided it wasn't a blood clot at least now and so i'm kind of scratching my head i'm sure they are too and then they'll take care of it but what what else would you think logically that might might be you came to the right place you got an emergency doctor and internist so let's get the emergency doctor who sees this all the time in the emergency room. And let me just lead into that by saying 
that one of the things we try to get people to recognize is alarm signs uh, in in these visits, brief visits we have with you. There are some things that, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, and you can sort of leave alone or see, take some over-the-counter medicine, see if it helps. And then there are alarm signs that mean that you have to get attention, and one of those is swelling up all over, and that's what you're describing. So in the emergency department, if I was uh, seeing you as a patient, you know, there are a lot of questions that I would probably ask. You know, how long it's been going on, if there are any other symptoms, such as shortness of breath, chest discomfort, um, change in how often you are able to pee. All of those things, I think, would figure into it, and I suspect that these are some of the questions that your regular doctor and uh, the person or clinic that saw you and worked you up for the infection. So in terms of swelling, there are a number of different things that can cause swelling. You know, there are some things that we think about quite a bit on the emergent side that we would like to identify early, anything uh, related to the way your heart is functioning, anything related to the way your kidneys are functioning, um, things like that. And then there are the things that are common, particularly for this time of the year with it being so hot. There are some people who have swelling um, because of that. So I'm not really sure uh, how much you've talked with your doctor uh, or the individuals you've seen for that, but those are the kind of things that we think about and worry about. Right. So uh, this is an alarm sign, Bill. There is something that needs to be attended to quickly, and Dr. Jackson has outlined uh, specifically the, the organs that could be affected you need to know your serum creatinine, C-R-E-A-T-I-N-I-N-E, which is a measurement of kidney function. You need to have had a urine protein to see if you're leaking proteins. You need to have had a BNP, BNP, which is a heart failure test, which is a very common cause of swelling up all over uh, in older men. You sound like you're a chickadee, but in older men, that's something we look at. You need to have had a cardiac echo. E-C-C-H-O, to look at that. And that's only the start of the workup. Uh, doctors are also going to want to know what medicines you're on. There are some medicines that cause you to swell up as well. I do not think the bee sting is related. People do swell up all over and lose protein in their urine. It's called serum sickness after bee stings. I don't think you have that because you had this problem uh, before. So, Bill, if you want to know more about this, send us an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org, and we can send you some more uh, information. But you need to go probably to a specialist at this point, probably an internist or a family medicine person who is familiar with this or even a cardiologist to get this worked up. And if you don't have one, also send us an email, and we'll try to facilitate that. And we appreciate your call Thanks for calling. So uh, we're here taking all calls on everything. I'm Dr. Rick here with Dr. Loretta. Let's go to Macomb and Rich. Hey, Rich. Hey, how you doing? We're good. Thanks for your call. Hey, I got, uh, hold on. I got a little bit of your show earlier, and you said something that I wanted to comment on. Um, my mom, she just had a, a pacemaker put in. She's 78. And uh, she was in the hospital for a little bit, and they sent her to a rehab center. Um, 
And when she got to the rehab center, she went four days not eating. She didn't want to do rehab. <clears throat> she got to where she wasn't talking to people, and the, the behavior was really unusual. The, uh, the rehab center thought this was her baseline, and we were telling her no. Her mom is a very friendly, outgoing person, and they had said, well, if she don't do rehab for three times in a row, we just got to send her to the house. And uh, mom was in no condition to just go to the house. Uh, they wound up sending her to the hospital, and they just ran some tests and found out she had a urinary tract infection. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know that uh, a urinary tract infection could cause these symptoms. But uh, okay. I guess they treated it, and mom is doing great now. That's wonderful. Now, that's the good part of the story. The rest of the story is a disaster. So uh, let's see what the – these people usually end up in the emergency room because, you know, the doctors can't do acute appointments like we used to, and we'll talk a little bit about why we're trying to make more doctors to make that happen. Uh, you want to you wanna give him some – I think that You this, see this all the time. We see this all the time, um, and uh, you know, one of the fascinating things about this is that it's not just in people who are a little bit of age, but uh, anybody who is – chronically ill or um, or has uh, major medical problems can have altered medical uh, mental state because of what we would term as simple urinary tract infections. So one of the things that we talk about and, and teach about is that you look for the basics for everybody. So when someone's mental state changes, you can't assume that they have moved automatically into a different state of dementia or they're in delirium. You have to look for that underlining uh, potential cause for it. And uh, urinary tract infections are really important. Right. And we see this all, all the time now because we can't keep patients in the hospital long enough to make sure that they're going to do all right when they get out. I had one patient last week <clears throat> that just fell apart after they were discharged because he ran out of hospital days, and we just had to get him out and try to follow him up on an outpatient basis or he'd go bankrupt. So uh, he ended up yo-yoing, coming back into the emergency room and being readmitted, which is the worst-case scenario. So what happens in the hospital is you get put on a bunch of drugs that you hadn't been on before, Many of those have effects on the way you think, especially um, any kind of sleeper medicines and other things. Uh, you frequently get a urinary catheter put in, and that's associated with getting a urinary tract infection. So usually when they go to rehab, there's a doctor there that is familiar with these kinds of things, and they should have picked up a urinary tract infection fairly quickly. It may be that it they couldn't get any urine from her. I don't know, but that that's, this is a usual situation. And one of the things that I've heard Dr. Jackson say that she teaches medical students is you, you treat the treatable, you find out what's easy to treat and fix that first before you look in it, looking for things that you can't fix. And urinary tract infections are one of those, right? That's right. All right, Rich, thank you for so much for your call and, your mama is very, very fortunate that she has somebody engaged in her health care and is helping her like you. Because when you get old and you get put in a facility of any type, you got to have a relative keeping their eye on the ball to keep things right. We're going to be right back after 
this break to take go to Meridian and Grand Bay and take your call. We have a couple open lines. Uh, it's Dr. Rick and Dr. Loretta. We'll be right back. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Support for MPB comes from the Pediatric and Congenital Heart Center of Alabama at Children's of Alabama, a cardiovascular care center for children in Birmingham, Alabama. More at childrensal.org slash heart. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, we're back. Our producer is uh, Jay White, global interplanetary athletic expert and rapidly becoming the leading producer on health programming uh, next to Catherine Rotemeyer. So we're glad to have him here with us. Um, And I'm here. I'm Dr. Rick. I'm here with our uh, special guest, uh, the vice dean for, uh, that doesn't mean vice, like she's, you know, in some kind of cartel, the uh, vice dean for uh, medical education at UMC, a very, very important role. So we were talking about, we're going to go to Meridian in just a second and Grand Bay and Brookhaven. We were talking about your vetting process for people getting in medical school. First of all, you got a lot more people you're taking in medical school, 150 or something like that. I don't know how many it is, but it's a lot. And you don't just, fill out a form or send an email saying, I want to go to medical school, you really do pick these people very carefully, right? We do. We have a long process that, in fact, takes a whole year uh, to get through. Students apply. Usually um, on the traditional side, if someone has gone to undergraduate school, they apply during their junior year. And um, then they send their application through a national system and they indicate that they would like to look at the University of Mississippi School of Medicine and then we have a secondary application that they complete and then once that application has been reviewed by our file review team then um, as appropriate the person is invited for an interview and the interview is a series of questions many interviews and then after all of that data is gathered there's an executive admissions team that looks and goes over not just uh, the educational accomplishments of the student they also look at the attributes their experiences their interview information and make a decision as to whether or not this is someone who actually fits uh, for our system. So used to be when I went to medical school, it was all about your grades. Isn't and, uh, you know, it was just, uh, you know, if the cut was made on your MCAT score and your GPA, and that was it. If you didn't have 
very good scores. If you wasn't weren't super bright, you didn't get in. So we got a lot of people in our class who were super bright, but didn't know how to talk to anybody. And now these kids, you're not doing that anymore, are you? Well, we have been listening to the public. The public has been saying, I want someone who can talk to me about the problems that I have. So one of the things that we recognize in that admission process is that it's important to have some of that before you get into medical school. So that is a really important focus is how you communicate with people. Mm -hmm. So it's not just your numbers, it's who you are as a person and how you've demonstrated that you care about people. That's right. And boy, let me tell you, having done this for too long, uh, I can tell the difference. These medical students are whole different ones than than I was. They really, really are caring, connected, mature, Mm -hmm. committed people. And so thank you for what you're doing. Let's go to our next call. And I think that is a call from, uh, is it, uh, is it from Virginia and Meridian? Hey, Virginia. Hi. Thanks for waiting. Sure. Uh, My question has to do with the pelvic floor problem. I had the surgery around uh, six years ago and where the mesh was put in and tacking the rectum and um, it's all gone south again. Mm -hmm. Is it recommended for someone my age, I am 76, Mm -hmm. um, to have this redone or is it something I have to live with? Okay. That mesh comes right out. That mesh is hooked, and it's a sling that basically holds stuff up. And it's easy, fairly easy to get it loose. And age doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you're a candidate for getting that fixed. Uh, age is no longer a major factor in how and what kind of medical care you get, although it's a factor. It's, it's your overall health and the likelihood that you're going to do well so, but having had previous surgery like that, you have to go to a specialist who knows how to do redos. You know, it's just like you wouldn't go to a guy who builds new houses to do renovations because it's a it's a very different set of things. Uh, there's some people who do both, but mostly people who do renovations and nothing but renovations are better than people who do everything in the world. So you need a board-certified urologist or urogynecologist, and I'll just tell you that our people are incredibly well-trained for that, but there are people all over the state, so we're not trying to sell UMC, but uh, for a second opinion or whatever, you're going to need two opinions on this. And uh, there are a lot of people who are having mesh failures uh, like you, so you're not alone. So if you're healthy... Uh, and, uh, and you, I bet you, your mother lived to be a hundred and you have longevity and things like that. You're probably going to be a very good candidate. Did I get that right? I agree. Let's get the female preser- uh, Right. We talk uh, a lot about, uh, how old you are chronologically actual age, but how old you are physiologically in terms of how healthy you are. So really and truly that figures into a lot of the decision-making as to whether or not somebody's a good candidate for right. surgery. Okay. If you want to know more about that, Virginia, just send me an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org and we will get you more info. So uh, we, we've done a lot to fight against 
ageism in medicine, and that's another thing that she's doing with her students is making sure they get information about that as well and they don't look at you your number and say, get lost. Okay, let's go to John in Grand Bay. Hey, Grand Bay's a great place, John. Yeah, pretty town. Thanks. I've got some photos of Grand Bay with boats in it, and it's uh, in my office, and they're just beautiful. What's yeah, your question? Not too far away from Morris uh, Comps on town. Yeah, right, right. Maybe he's hiding out down there. I don't know. There are a lot of authors hiding out around there that write books. So, what's your question? Uh, well, I ran across I think uh, some sort of documentary. I think it was on Netflix, and it was talking about uh, it was official sounding study, and uh, it talked about how all of the, the problems, health problems caused by sugar. You mean eating too much, or having too much in your blood, or what? Too much sugar. Eating too much. Eating too much sugar. I'm sorry. Eating too much sugar. Any kind of any kind of sugar, and they included you know sugar you get from honey and fruit juice and uh, soda pop. Okay, very very good question. And John, will you stay on the phone because I want to go to David. He's asking a very similar question in Ayuka. Uh, and we'll put the answer together for the two questions. Hey, David. Hello. David, are you there? I'm here. I, I see from the notes that I have that you're you want to talk a little bit about obesity. And we just had a uh, John from Grand Bay that is interested in sugar, and those are connected. So I thought we'd take your question real quick and fold those together. What's your question? Well, it is a good question to fold together because my issue is the way doctors deal with patients who are obese. Obese patients get other diseases. Um, I went for, I went to seven different doctors over the last four years dealing with my obesity, and they all said, oh, you're just obese. Lose weight and all your problems will go away. I finally found a doctor that said to me, um, well, let's find out why you're obese. It made all the difference in the world. Right. Um, Keep talking. You're saying the right stuff. Right. We want to hear and, that. Like I said, the other seven doctors, they would just look at me and say, you're obese. We're sitting up here saying amen. Keep going. And and the doctors wouldn't wouldn't do anything. So he first thing he did was a thyroid test mm-hmm. and found out my thyroid wasn't functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he did a liver biopsy mm-hmm. and found out I had a fatty liver. Mm-hmm. And then we proceeded to take off 32 liters of fluid out of my abdomen. Whoa. Considering it's about, what, two pounds a liter? Mm. That's, that's pushing 70 pounds right there. And yeah. I go back next week to have probably nine more liters taken off. All right. So um, you found a doctor who cared about your problem and didn't just blow it off. That's what you're saying, right? Right. 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 He's the first doctor that I had that ever put their hands on my abdomen. Okay, can we roll that together with this other question and give both of you some response? Absolutely. And thank you so much for your call, David, and you too, John. All right, I'll give you the first shot at this. this. Well, there are several things that I hear in listening to both of these questions. One is that as healthcare providers, we really do need to listen 
uh, to what our patients are saying and actually start to address uh, some of the difficult things that come up and, and not make presumptions about why something exists. Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump way out on the lines, over the line since you're African-American. And there's this thing called uh, bias that plays into this whole deal. In general, I have found my propensity uh, to deal with obesity, especially in African-American women who have such a problem with this, is to dismiss it as everybody has it and not look for what an underlying problem is. And that's what happened to him. Exactly. Uh, is, you know, they, uh, well, you know, all these problems you've got are related to your obesity, get lost, lose some weight and come back. Well, maybe not. That's right. And, and it's not just about the, uh, the um, disease state of of diabetes, I mean, of of obesity, in that it may not be because there is hypothyroidism. There may be other reasons, but you will never get to the other reasons if you don't ask questions. So being able to sit and listen to what the issues are with patients regarding uh, why it is difficult to lose weight, because losing weight is not an easy thing, um, you know, where that person lives whether or not they have access to some of the things that will be needed, whether or not they're eating, as our first caller talked about, refined sugars and things like that, um, having access to appropriate foods and and, um, uh, fresh vegetables, lean meats and things like that. So this whole issue merges quite nicely um, with a number, not just medical issues, but socioeconomic issues, access issues. And um, as a state, we're really going to have to have major conversations around it. Yeah, because 75% of Mississippians are overweight or obese, and we know what's going to happen if we don't respond to these needs earlier. Mm-hmm. For instance, there are there are drugs out there now that will keep you from getting diabetes if your blood sugar is persistently up. We're going to have you back and talk about all those things again soon. Our special guest today has been Dr. Loretta Jackson, who is the Vice Dean and we for Medical Education at UMC, and we really appreciate your being here. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and is funded in part by Grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting. Catch the replay of today's show this Sunday at 6 and join us each Wednesday at 11 for the original Southern Remedy where the doctors are always in. Stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy. Live blue. It's good to be blue. More at bcbsms.com. We are stuck under a very stubborn ridge of high pressure. It's going to